Thank you for listening to the sermons here at Ascension Lutheran Church. Our worship services happen on Sunday mornings. 8.30 is our traditional worship service, and 10.30 is our contemporary worship service. We'd love to see you on a Sunday morning. You can visit us also on our website at www.alcrpv.org. We hope you enjoy the sermon. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this day. I thank you for the people that are here. Thank you for the privilege that it is to be able to talk about your word and transform by your gospel. Lord, we are amazed that you do so much good work here, and we submit this time to you. Lord, if it's about me and my preparation, if it's about me and my words, then nothing will happen but when you show up, when you do this work, you transform lives, you, you give us hope, you open ears. So, Lord, for each of us, as we have thick granite skulls, chisel out eyes and ears so that we might hear of your goodness and hear of the things that you are doing. Lord, we pray that this time may be yours. Let there be less of me so there can be more of you. It's in your holy name we pray. Amen. Open up your Bibles to John chapter 10, verse 1. Um, If you don't have a Bible, grab the Pew Bible in front of you and um, open up to John chapter 10. I do love it when you all bring your Bibles. I think it's very helpful to have um, a Bible with you so you can write in and know, oh, that's what this says, that's what that says, and then go back later and be reminded of these things, Um, but just enjoying being together in the word with you all. So, John chapter 10. Last week, Pastor Paul was here, and he um, preached us through John chapter 9, which was a task because it's 41 verses, and um, I'm very grateful to him for doing that. And it's important that when we get to John chapter 10, that we recognize where we're coming out of. So if you can just look up a couple of verses and you can see who Jesus is talking to. So I'll do a very brief summary. Um, Jesus heals the man who is born blind, and then there becomes this conversation. A conversation between the Pharisees and the man who's born blind and his parents, all talking about how did this happen, who did this, what, what is this that went on here? And so there's much confusion over this, back and forth and back and forth. The man here continues to proclaim, I'm not sure how this happened, but I know something amazing happened. And he continues to proclaim that truth. The Pharisees are trying to battle at his ideas and what happened and really trying to get to the bottom of it because they are very suspicious of Jesus. And so then Jesus finds the man. Let's just jump up to 935. Jesus heard that they had driven him out. And when he found him, he said, do you believe in the son of man? He answered, and who is he, sir? Tell me so that I may believe in him. Jesus said, you have seen him. And the one speaking with you is he. He said, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. So the man born blind, hears the voice of God, sees his face now. I believe and he worships him. Jesus then said, I came into this world for judgment, so that those who do not may, so those who do not may see, and those who do see may become blind. Verse 40, some of the Pharisees near him heard this and said to him, surely we are not blind, are we? 
Jesus said to them, if you were blind, you would not have sin. But now that you say, we see, your sin remains. And then, as all of your Bibles do, John chapter 10 begins. But notice, the the audience does not change. Right? So John chapter 9, there's a new chapter. And you go, whoa, something new is happening. There's a number in front of it. And that, that tricks us. Because then we start to think, oh, oh, he's talking to a new group of people. But who is he talking to? The Pharisees. He hasn't changed his audience. He's still talking to the Pharisees. It's still out of this blind man conversation. That is the backdrop of all of this. And so in the scriptures, there's always a good habit to make of just going up a couple of verses and going past a couple of verses. Oh, what happened before? Where am I reading? What am I reading about? Who is Jesus talking to? Who's the people talking to? And then after you end, I wonder where that went. So when we look at Bible verses, um, it's easy to pick them out because they're numbered by chapter and verse. But so important, what's happening? Who is he talking to? So he's talking to the Pharisees who have already been battling with the family of the blind man and the blind man about this miracle. The man who was blind, who now could see, he sees Jesus and he worships him. The Pharisees go, we're not blind, right? Uh, I mean, we're still good, right? Enter the teaching that we're in. Very truly, I tell you to the Pharisees, Anyone who does not enter the sheepfold by the gate, but climbs in by another way, is a thief and a bandit. Hey, Pharisees, are you going to enter by the gate, or are you going to jump over the fence by a thief and be a thief and a bandit? That is the question that's set before you. You have to choose who you are. We're not blind, right? Well, let me tell you about blindness and let me tell you about the relationship to God. Does not enter the sheepfold by the gate, but climbs in by another way is a thief and a bandit. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens a gate for him and the sheep hear his voice. I need to give us just a little bit of imagery here because I just have a quick question. Any shepherds in the room? Okay, I didn't think so, but if there were, it was your time to shine. You were going to get up here and tell us all about being a shepherd. But um, since there's not in the room, let's just go back in time 2,000 years, and let's remember that they are living in agricultural society, that they are farmers, they're taking care of animals. This is their way of surviving. So shepherds and sheep would be a common thing Also, it is a common illustration that Jesus loves to use, is this idea of shepherds and sheep. He uses it in Ezekiel. He uses it in the Psalms all of the time. And so this idea of sheep and shepherds is a common illustration. What would happen is there would be a sheep pen. It'd be outside the city usually. It would have high walls and would have one opening. Now, sheep, as you probably have heard before, are pretty stupid animals, in general, right? So when Jesus says, you are my sheep, it's not like, yes, sheep. It's like, oh, great, sheep. And sheep are flock animals. 
So um, we, Emily and I, we go down to this rodeo every year, and one of the events that they have on the rodeo is called, oh, it's when the kids ride them. Mutton busting. All of you have been before. Good. So the kids ride these sheep, right? Mutton busting. And they jump, they throw a four-year-old on the back of a sheep with a bicycle helmet and say, go to town, kid. And he rides for a couple of feet. Now, the sheep run off. And then the first sheep, when he's in the rodeo arena, he's by himself and he's kind of confused. He's like, I'm not sure what to do with this. This is not great. And the second, the second sheep comes out, you know where he runs? Right to the first sheep and they stand right next to each other. And then the third sheep comes, and he doesn't go and start a new sheep group. You know what he does? Right to the other two sheep, and they stand. Because sheep need each other. So they're flock animals. They herd up, and they stay together. They don't have very good defenses, and they're not very smart. One gate, and the whole city's sheep would probably be in the sheep pen. So if there's the Hawkins sheep, and there's the Hendrickson sheep, and there's the Mosh, all in the sheep pen. And there would be one gate, and there'd be a person who guards the gate. This would be the gatekeeper. His job would be to lay across the sheep gate to protect the sheep so that no one get in and out. Then the shepherd would come in to the sheep, to the pen, call his sheep, take them out for food, to move them, to go to another place, to take care of the sheep. Bring them back in. This would be the familiar image that Jesus is dealing with. Again, None of us are, are sheep people. It was interesting, though, when we had the goats on the hill, they herded all the goats up onto our patio or onto our parking lot, and they had one opening, and the sheep were trying to get through that opening to get into the trailer to the next place. So, I mean, they're still doing the same thing today. It's just we don't engage sheep a whole bunch nowadays. So Jesus has this image. There's a gatekeeper and there's one shepherd. And Jesus says, anyone who tries to come in any other way is up to no good. They're trying to either steal your sheep or kill your sheep. There is one way into the pen and there's one way out and it's through the gate. When I go into these sheep and call my voice and use my voice, the sheep follow me. If you want to know more about sheep, wonderful book um, by a man named Kenneth Bailey, and it's called The Good Shepherd. And next week, we'll talk more about Psalm 23. But this is a shepherd in the Middle East, and he uses all of his experience as a shepherd to really take apart some of these shepherd passages, especially Psalm 23. It's a wonderful book. But he talks about how a good shepherd can lead his group of sheep with a whistle and just by walking. So the shepherd will have certain whistles that he'll make or he'll call his sheep. They know that that's their whistle. They'll come to him and he'll start walking. And he says, I've seen shepherds just by walking and a whistle guide their flock of a hundred sheep and just every minute or so make a certain sound and the sheep continue to follow him. And Kenneth Bailey's going, I've watched this happen in the Middle East now. They're still doing this. So Jesus uses this illustration. The Pharisees are right there. The Pharisees are saying, we're not blind, are we? He says, there's one gate and there's one way. I, so he goes on. When he has brought out all of his own, he goes ahead of them and the sheep follow him because they know his voice. Remember what Bailey said? Just a couple of whistles. The sheep are following. So the shepherd goes into the pen, calls the sheep, and the sheep come out because they know his voice. 
Also remember, what's the story that just happened? The story of the blind man. The blind man has this wonderful illustration, um, John 9, 25. I do not know whether he is a sinner. One thing I do know, that I was blind and now I see. I heard his voice. He put mud on my eyes and I can see. I came to him. He said, I am he and I followed him. And the Pharisees are going, yeah, 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 but, but we're not the blind, are we? He goes, are you willing to hear my voice? Are you willing to come and listen to me? They will not follow a stranger, but they will run from him because they do not know the voice of strangers. Jesus used this figure of speech with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. You've got to love John. So he has this whole beautiful story about shepherds and sheep and listening to their voice and they're going to follow him and don't be a bandit jumping in. And all the Pharisees go, I don't get it. (sighs) Okay. So again, Jesus said to them, chapter seven, very truly I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. And here we are. Remember what we're doing this summer. We are studying the seven signs and wonders and the seven I am statements. When Jesus says, Ego eimi, I myself am, with authority, declares with the name of God from the Old Testament who he is. So he starts with a pretty illustration about sheep and shepherds and sheep pens and all of that going on. They don't get it, and he ups the ante. And he hits them with a I am. Am the gate for the sheep. So if you've missed the story until then, let me in great detail tell you who I am. All who came before me are thieves and bandits, but the sheep did not listen to them. Who is he talking to primarily? Remember? The Pharisees. They didn't get it the first time. Now he hits them with an ego a me statement, and then he looks at them and he says, all who have come before me are thieves and bandits. Doesn't feel great (laughs) being a Pharisee. Wait, what? Uh, We're thieves and bandits? No, we're not the blind. We're not the problem. But what Jesus is doing throughout the gospel of John is he is expanding the kingdom of God. He's opening the kingdom of God up to brand new people, to lame people, to blind people, to Samaritan people, to all kinds of people who they did not think entered in. And the Pharisees, man, they knew they were right. They knew, they knew how to love God. They knew how to do the laws of God. It is our way or the highway. And Jesus says, no, I'm the gate. You're not the gate. I'm the way. You're not the way. I'm going to let my sheep in and take my sheep out. The people who I love. The people who I'm here for. And the kingdom of God is growing and growing and growing. And the Pharisees don't know what to do with it. Because they have been the gatekeeper. They have been the one who have let in or out who they choose. And they've used that power to destroy, to kill, to separate. All who've come before me 
are thieves and bandits. But I'm the one who's going to open the gate. I'm the one who is going to transform all of this. I am the gate. Verse 9. Whoever enters by me will be saved and will come in and go out and find pasture. I'm the way to life. I'm the way to safety. Now, when we hear this, we have a tendency to go the other way with it, where we live in a world who we um, have this idea, oh, there are many, many paths up the mountain, but it's all to the same place. And so we hear this, and we go, well, isn't Jesus being very exclusive? Isn't he just saying, it's me, and that's the only way? Now, the Pharisees, interestingly, heard it the opposite way, right? Well, they heard it, wait, Jesus is letting in people who shouldn't be allowed in. Jesus is saying he's the gate where we want to be the gate. We want to be the ones in charge. Jesus is opening up to new people, like that blind guy. That blind guy is a bad guy because he was born blind. So something's wrong with him or his family. And Jesus says, no, he's allowed in. But we tend to do the other thing where we go, well, but it can't just be Jesus. It can't just be that way because that, that feels very limiting, very small. That gate is very small. So when we come to ideas like this, I like to think of these ideas as a baseball field, okay, where we have a big open play area, and then we have foul lines. And there are foul lines that teach us these are the out-of-bounds areas, and all of this area is in play. Verses like this have been used to become exclusive, to say, nope, I'm the only way. It's my way. You have to agree with Pastor Scott Hawkins and the way he thinks about it, and that is the only way you may think about these things. But there are these foul lines that I think Scripture gives us, and these are the foul lines when I come to verses like this that I use. So Jesus says this line. He says um, that he is the judge and that he has come to bring judgment, and we don't like this word, judgment. Here are some of the foul lines that I keep in mind when I come to these. The first is, is that whoever is saved is always saved through Jesus. He is the only way to the Father. Jesus is the way to the Father. It makes that pretty clear. Now, how does that work? I'm not sure. But Jesus is the way to the Father. He is the gate. He's the way that we get access to God. Because all of us, as we confessed earlier, can't do it ourselves. We, by nature, break things, destroy things, hurt things. We can't do it ourselves. But what Jesus has done is has taken our place and has taken on the punishment that each of us deserve for those faults and has opened up brand new access to the Father. So whoever is saved is saved by Jesus because we need him. He is the gate. He is the key to the lock, however you want to see it. Here, he's using this illustration that he is the gate. While at the same time, God desires all to be saved. 1 Timothy 2.4, John 3.16. God doesn't look at somebody and say, nope, you're not good enough. Nope, you're not the right color skin. Nope, you don't have enough money. God desires all to be saved. He wants the world to know him. He loves his creation so much that he came into it so he could save it. 
He does not want any sheep to go away. The story of the 99, the 100 sheep, and the one that gets away. And that question that's asked, well, who wouldn't leave the 99? And all the shepherds are going, you don't leave the 99. That's your money. But Jesus goes, I find that one. I want the world to be saved. At the same time, God is just, and he always does what is right. If someone does not want to be in the presence of God, he does not keep them there. So when it comes to judgment, I trust in God to do what's right. I'm not the judge. I'm not the one who gets to say whether people are saved or not. I can't. I'm not. I have a God who does what's right, and I get to trust him. I like to think of it as a big arena. Imagine the Staples Center and imagine that judgment's happening and there's God in the middle and then there's Scott and everyone here is watching and I get up there and we sit before there and God pronounces his judgment and every time God pronounces his judgment, the whole arena bursts into applause and says, that is the perfect answer. That is exactly what should have happened. Wow, I didn't think of that solution. Wow, I didn't think that could be. And God does every time for every person the exact right thing. We trust him with judgment. We do not become the judges. We don't become the ones who get to choose who's in and who's out. We say, we have a perfect God who does what's right every time, and we trust him with the judgment. And then you know what our job is? We carry God's love to the world and point people to Christ. So what are we known for? Being lovers of God and pointers to Jesus. What are we known for? What were Christians known for in the early days? For joy. Wow, those people are surprisingly happy all the time. They shouldn't be. They're being thrown into lion's pits, put up on um, crosses, all sorts of things. But they know a God who loves them. And so they keep pointing back to Jesus. You know what Christians were known for? When the whole city would leave because there was an illness raging throughout the city, you know who would stay in the city and take care of the sick and the dying? The Christians. You know why? Because they weren't afraid to die. It was more important to them that those sick people were cared for than that they left the city. And after the pandemic would rip through a city, they'd say, you know who didn't leave me? All those people of Christ. They stayed and they loved me. That's what we're known for. We're known for pointing people to Jesus. We're known for loving people. We're known for carrying God's love to the world. This is who we are. Now, we want to get into judgment. And guys, it is so fun to be the judge, right? Because then we have to be in control. And we have to be powerful. And we have to have that position. But I come here today to tell you, you are not the judge. God is the judge, and he does it right every time. You know who you are? You're a carrier of God's love and light to the world and a pointer to Jesus. We have to do that every day, every moment. We have to carry out God's love. Show them how loved they are. Point them to Jesus and say, let me tell you more about this God who desires all to be saved and wants to be with you.
That's who we are. That's what we get to be known for. The thief comes only to steal and to kill and destroy. But I come that they may have life and have it abundantly. And don't take this into, oh, so if you're a Christian, then your bank account just all of a sudden fills up. No, life abundantly is just life with God. It's the people who are comfortable in loving people who don't look like them because they know there's a God who also loves that person. It's the person who's comfortable in staying in the city of a sickness and caring for people because they know the God who loves them. It's the people who are full of joy because at the end of our service, we can say, despite the craziness of this world, despite everything that's going on, despite all of the pain and all of the suffering, we have been in here listening to the message of a God who saves, a God who comes to us in bread and wine, a God who loves us enough to die for us, and so we can say, it's going to be okay. It doesn't feel like it. It's scary. It's big. It's powerful. But God is more powerful, and it's going to be okay. Not because of what you've done, but because of what he's done for you. It's going to be okay. This is why we're here, to remember that God loves us and saves us. He is the gate. He is the one who's opening up to new people who they never thought would come and follow his voice. Let us be the ones who point to him. Let us be the ones who find joy and peace in carrying God's love out to the world and revealing his love to everybody. Heavenly Father, we are amazed that you love us. We are amazed that you give us yourself. So Lord, we ask that you come into this place and give us your peace. Lord, we are a mixed group of people. We are a group of people who are full of fear, are full of shame, are full of joy, are full of hope. And Lord, we ask that you come into this place and you remind us that you are the gate. You, you open new, new opportunities for people who have never had the privilege of being told that they're wanted. Lord, let us never tire of telling this story. Let us always remember that you are the judge and we are not. Let us remember that you are for us and that you desire all to be saved. Lord, thank you for being a good God who loves us. Thank you for being a good God who died for us. Thank you for being a good God who gives himself for us. As we come to this table now, let us come in humility, recognizing that we desperately need you. We need you to be the gate, to open the way, because we can't do it ourselves. Help us to know your voice. Help us to know where you are calling us so that we can be quick to follow. Help us to be willing to love people who feel unlovable sometimes. Let us be known for our joy, for our peace, for our compassion, for our courageous love that blows through boundaries. We pray these things in the powerful name of our risen Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.